If any one issue has dominated both our domestic and international dialogue, it is the subject of energy. A developed and developing world with ever-increasing energy needs and, in spite of the current glut, not an endless supply of oil. Enter alternative energy, wind, solar, and the battery. If only we could perfect the latter. Range anxiety with electric cars, computer anxiety on long flights, the need for a better battery might very well be the holy grail of our electronic and digital age. My guest, Steve Levine, who's written about and covered the energy sector for years, now turns his attention to the struggle to build the perfect battery. Steve Levine is Washington correspondent for Quartz, where he writes about the geopolitics of energy and technology. He launched the Oil and the Glory blog on energy and geopolitics at Foreign Policy Magazine. He's the author of the previous book, The Oil and the Glory, and it is my pleasure to welcome Steve Levine back to this program to talk about the powerhouse inside the invention of the battery to save the world. Steve, thanks so much for joining us. Very good to be here. Thanks so much. Good to have you here. I want to talk first about the fundamental principle about the way batteries work. Talk a little bit about that, Steve. One of the objectives that I had in this book was I wanted not for it to be a dumb book, but also not for it to be a wonky book. So I wanted uh, to, to bring myself, of course, but the ordinary reader into the world of battery scientists. So I, I spent two years in this one lab, Argonne National Lab, with the battery team while they're trying to create the super battery. But I, I wanted it, I wanted to have the science there, but I didn't want it to be only accessible to, to, to scientists. I wanted ordinary people uh, who, who didn't know anything. Like I started from zero. I wanted them to, to get an immersion in the science and be as thrilled about it as I became. And, 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 and so you do get, you get the, actual formulas for the science and you're you're with Jason Croy a former rock star who then decided he was going to become a physicist as as he's working on trying to to resolve one of the big obstacles that the battery scientists overcome but the basic physics to loop back to to, to your actual question is it's kind of simple and it's it's deceptively simple there are only three basic parts to the battery the battery was invented in 1799 by Alessandro Volta, and today the structure of it is not, is not much different. You, you have two electrodes, the positive electrode and the negative electrode, and then you have electrolyte, a facilitator, that's between them. And all you want to happen is you store that your, your lithium, and that's the actual that, uh, producer of the energy, you have the, the, the lithium in one electrode, that's called the cathode, and, 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 and when, when you uh, plug in your smartphone or you plug in your laptop, that lithium moves from that, cathode, uh, from, from that electrode to the other electrode. That actually is the action of charging the battery. And then when you're using your phone, when you're using your laptop, when they're not plugged in, What's actually happening inside the battery is that lithium is moving back from that, uh, from, from that electrode back to the other electrode, and it's called shuttling. So the, the lithium shuttles from one side to the other, 
and back again. And that's the action of producing electricity. The other part of this is why we can't make batteries that last longer. This idea of voltage fade that you talk about and really it being the fundamental problem in creating, trying to create the perfect battery. Right. So, so, so this is a big question. So what the first question is, why are batteries such a big deal? And you stated that in the, in the, in the run in, and then it's, so what's the problem? Why? What, hey, we've been doing this for 200 years. Why haven't? Why? Why aren't we there yet? Um, so you live in Napa Valley, and so you'll you'll uh, be able to appreciate this. And that's that. When you know there 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 are hundreds, thousands of scientists where you live in your in your general area and down in in uh, into in Silicon Valley who work in uh, who work making silicon chips, making them smaller and smaller and smaller, more and more powerful, acting out Moore's law. Every 18 months, they double the performance of those silicon chips. When they do so, when they arrive, when, they do, when they're working all day and they finish at night, when they come back the next morning to resume their work, what they've done on that chip is exactly the same. It, it hasn't changed. None of the architecture that they that they arrange has changed, which is completely different from the battery. You mentioned voltage fade. This is the key the key um, challenge that the battery team faces in the story in the in the book. They've invented this chemistry called NMC, which is the stuff that's in the Chevy Volt. Chevy Volt uses a lithium battery that it, its precise chemistry is NMC and Incidentally, the uh, the new Chevy pure electric car that's going to be on the market in in uh, in, in late 2017, that's called the Bolt, also has this NMC in it. But they, but the but the Argon guys, that's not their quest. They want to create NMC 2.0. This is what I call it, the next generation. And to and to do that, they've got to juice the battery. They it has to do a lot more. And the way they do that is they need to apply more voltage to it. If you can apply more voltage, you can derive more energy from it. And, 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 and specifically, they want to apply 4.7 volts. And currently, it's 3.3, 3.7. They want to up it to 4.7. And when you do that, the burst of capacity of that battery is tremendous. You enable this electric age. You create the super battery. But the problem is that when you do that, the atoms, going back to this analogy of the, of, of, of the silicon chip, it's as though you come back the next day and everything that you did the previous day has been scrambled. It's chaos. Within the lithium-ion battery, when you apply those volt, that, that extra bit of juice, you scramble the atoms. They, they, they utterly change their position within the battery. It's, a, it's, it's as though when you go home tonight from work, you drive home, the garage where you're going to park your car is sitting in the kitchen, the front room is in the attic, and, and, and so on. Their quest, Jason Croy, again, this, this rock star, he wants the, the atoms to stay in the same place. That's his job. One of the points you made is that the 
fundamental technology of the battery has essentially been evolving, but the same since the invention back in 1799. As, as you talk to these guys and all the time you spent listening to them and talking to them at Argonne, has there been conversation about another way to do it? Is there, is there ever the thought that maybe this fundamental idea is wrong and that we have to really reinvent the whole idea of the battery? This is such a good question. The, the, one, one of the things, I, I can give this away because it doesn't give away the book, partway through the book, the battery guys, and, and I say this parenthetically now, that, that both the guys and, and there is a woman, single woman, Lynn Trahey, who's on the, the battery team, they call themselves battery guys. And, uh, and, and the lowest blow that you can possibly hear is to have it said to you that you're, uh, you're not a battery guy. The Argonne guys understand that everything they're doing and that, and that is being done, pub, that, that they publicly know is being done, is wrong. And they have to start over. And they have to rethink. They cannot rely on Alessandro Volta's structure. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and in fact, the Secretary of Energy at that, at that time, Stephen Chu, a Nobel Prize winner, understands this too. And, and, and he uh, um, proposes and gets passed through Congress, the creation of, of, of what he calls, he, he's from Bell Labs. A lot of these guys are from Bell Labs. He's going to create a Bell Lablet. Bell invented the transistor and a lot of other stuff. And it's going to use the Bell invention system to make the big breakthrough in batteries to create a new, to reinvent mm-hmm. just exactly what you're describing. And, and they, they, they do this. There's a, there's a competition. It's to win a five-year, uh, a five-year project, $120 million to do this. And Argonne is in this competition. And, uh, and the idea is to work over a five-year period on what comes next, what's after lithium-ion. What's happening in the private sector? Argonne is one of our national laboratories, and certainly this is, is the hub of, of what you write about. What's happening in the private sector in terms of battery development? We hear a lot about what Elon Musk is doing. We heard about this company, and you write about Envia that, that tried to develop the perfect battery. What's happening there? There are a lot of startups, um, a lot of them on the West Coast, a lot of them in Silicon Valley on both, uh, both sides of the bay. In Massachusetts, in New York, uh, these are the main, the, the main places, and in other countries. Um, two, two things that I wanted to say there is that what, what they are doing is very, very important. And a lot of it is supported by the way, by private investors, by venture capitalists. Um, but what has to happen that the stakes are so very high and the dividends of winning, of getting this right are so big that, that there needs to be a, a, a partnership between these private players and with the public sector, with, with labs like Argonne, and with, incidentally, with big car companies. Steve Jobs didn't invent the smartphone. He invented the better smartphone. He redesigned it. He knew how to manufacture it. He's the one who created the smartphone 
industry. He made it as big as big as we know. It was only he only started in in uh, 2007. Remember on, on that, but it had been invented. It had been commercialized before him. We need someone like that to take what's in what's invented in a lab like Argon or one of those startups in incidentally in Silicon Valley and and understand how do you engineer it so it's in it's in a format that will uh, that can be commercialized manufacture it correctly and incidentally create a very very cool car like a Tesla and the way, the way that Elon Musk has done that everyone can't can't wait to own so you uh, you need all of that and then you get there one of the things that we're seeing is that battery technology and the development of the battery has been spared a great deal of the criticism that has come over the years to different alternative energy sources. Battery seems to be something that everyone can buy into and that there's a kind of universality to wanting success. Well, it's interesting that you say that. My my feeling about it, so when I, when I started this project, this has go, been going on almost five years. So I proposed this project. I started working on it back in 2010. And it was in the wake by the, uh, incidentally of the financial crash. So remember at that, at that time, a lot of lack of loss of confidence in the ability of the United States of the world really, but, but the United States to create a real economy, not based on shenanigans, you know, financial instruments, real estate boom, dot com boom what what kind of product could be the foundation of a real economy and and, and a, a lot of hope came to center on the battery but when i proposed this book first i did it over dinner with my wife and she got right in my face what a boring topic and that that b was a very hard and insulting b and and, and my my agent my agent would would not respond to my emails when it, <laughs> When I propose this, I think that, that that intuitively people don't think about the battery, and they don't. It's not, it, it, it doesn't come to mind. It doesn't immediately appeal as 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 important, as exciting, and as and nowhere near. You don't understand how big, how central it is to our lives. Lithium-ion battery was was one of the is one of the two most consequential commercial inventions of the last five decades. The first one is the transistor, of course, which has created the whole electronics industry. But the lithium-ion battery made electronics portable. It's why, you're, why you have a smartphone. It's Tesla, Samsung uh, uh, would not exist. Apple wouldn't exist as a company. And, 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 and so they are, they, uh, they are very, very important. I don't think that initially people get that, but but once they do get it, then you're right. I think I, th I think that there isn't much dispute about them. It's not uh, it's it's not controversial. But what is controversial and what we need to get over is the whole idea that it violates our ethos as Americans to have you know, a, a much closer relationship between private players. And the public sector, these these labs, very important labs, in creating this new age, it does not it does not uh, destroy our ethos. We need to figure out how to handle the intellectual property. 
who's going to get the, the benefit of the patents. But once we do that, who, who's going to get rich? Once we figure out that, then we can move. But this isn't new. I mean, we've been through this with the Internet itself, with transistors, with so many of the things that came out of Bell Labs, as you were talking about before. This this idea of a partnership between government research and the private sector is not something that we have to reinvent. We simply have to look at how it's been done in the past. It has been done. It's true. And there there specifically with chips, there was a, there was an organization called Semitech that was created. And this was a, a uh, cooperative uh, uh, venture made up of all the chip makers, including Intel, when it looked like Japan was going to steal the whole, right? The whole, the whole industry was moving there. Uh, and, uh, and, and, it, and it helped to, um, to save the industry, to rescue the industry for the United States. Something like that could work. Uh, but whatever it is, we need to do it, and we need, uh, we need to get this, this going, and we should do it fast. Uh, again, the, w- one part of it, by the way, the 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 power industry part is happening right now. The super battery does not need is, is already there for power companies, and this is something that's that's going. It started in California, and this is the idea that individual homes, neighborhoods, malls, factories can and are right now installing beginning to install and will and, and, and will accelerate over the next five to ten years battery large lithium ion batteries in your home in your in your business and they will collect the elect, the electricity produced by solar produced by wind and they will balance out what what's what the power plants themselves produce by burning natural gas by by burning coal and nuclear too, they will re- re- reduce your individual bill. Your, your, uh, you're never, uh, very few people are going to actually get off the grid. You'll, you'll get some of your electricity from the grid, but up to 80%, you could re- reduce your bill by up to 80%. But what's the utility going to do? What's the power company going to do? They have to reinvent themselves. This is an upheaval that's begun, and it's going to play out over the next decade. The other part of this that you write about is the global competition to accomplish this, that this is happening, that this research is going on, not just at Argonne, but it's going on in Japan, it's going on in China, it's going on in South Korea, in Israel, really throughout the world. That's right. So the very very first scene in the book is Wan Gong, the Chinese Minister of Science and Technology, pays a visit. He, he decides he's, he's visiting the United States. He, Obama has already declared, I want one million cars on American roads. And Wang Gong makes the same declaration about China. But it being China, where, where it has this record of making these kinds of pronouncements, and they actually happening, there's real, real fear that, that China is going to win this race. And Americans have, having invented, Americans invented the lithium-ion battery. Japan commercialized it. It was decided that they were not commercial, and and Sony took the license and in 1991 commercialized lithium-ion, and then Toyota 
1996, commercialized the 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 uh, Prius, the first hybrid, has a 25-year head start on the United States. Wang Gong comes to visit Argonne, and Argonne understands that we are very, very far. We're just starting out in this race. We don't have a lithium-ion battery industry. We need to get into the race. And the same thing that a lot of us experienced in the 1970s with Japanese engineers and entrepreneurs and businessmen coming to the United States and visiting our factories and laboratories to figure out how they could get into the car industry, into the automobile industry, we needed to do in, in order to get started in inventing and creating batteries and doing the same thing with electric cars. And finally, Steve, what's the magic number, particularly with respect to cars? What kind of range really changes the equation? Is it 200 miles, 300 miles? At what point do we say victory with respect to cars? So, so the, the, this is a very good question, and it's a soft question because no, uh, no one knows it. what is psychologically the point at which you and and let's say your your parents right your your neighbors they they no longer have range anxiety does the car need to go 100 miles on a on a single charge 200 miles is it 300 miles there's some point at which it'll be a tipping point where where people say you know that's enough and the car it's it's at the right the right pricing point i know it's not going to catch fire if i'm driving between my home in San Francisco and and back, and so I'm going to buy that car. But but I think something happening right now is an inflection point. So I'm picking the number 200. So GM announced a few weeks ago that it is it is putting on the roads in in into its showrooms at the end of the year 2017 a 200 mile car that'll cost. $35,000 called the Bolt, right? So it's a, a B rather than the V of the Volt. And it, 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 they, uh, GM unveiled it at the, at, the, the, at the Detroit Auto Show a couple of weeks ago. $35,000. Elon Musk has announced he's going to, to, to put on the market a 200-mile car also in or around the year 20, 2018. He calls it the Model 3. That's the inflection point. That's it. Right at the the average price that Americans pay for their car paid for their cars last year was thirty three thousand. So thirty five thousand is right there in the sweet spot. It's the low end of the luxury market. The BMW three series, the 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 base model is thirty three thousand dollars. So when the, these cars when they come on the market in twenty eighteen, that's the inflection point. That's the beginning of the new electric age. And by the way, the, the chemistry that's in that bolt was invented by the battery guys who are profiled in, in this book. Steve Levine, the book is The Powerhouse, Inside the Invention of the Battery to Save the World. Steve, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. 